0: Welcome to I Should Go. Sometimes, no matter how hard you try to make a job or a career work, you just have to go. I'm Melissa, a recovering academic, and I want to know why other women of color have felt like they should go, too. Today, I'm welcoming Miss Sandy to the show. I know Miss Sandy because she is the mother of one of my friends. I know that she left a job and started a new path in life, but I mostly know that from her daughter's perspective. Today, I'm excited to learn her side of this moment. Welcome, Miss Sandy. Thank you, Melissa. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. I'm so glad you joined me today. Um, This is just uh, such a delightful opportunity to get to know uh, your version of the big move to Cambridge, because I've definitely heard your daughter's version. And so to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, who are you? Where are you from? Where were you living at the time when you were making this big decision? Okay.
1: At the time I was making this big decision. Um, Who am I? I I am Sandy Bridwell, Ebony's mother, first and foremost. Um I am from Pee-Wee Valley, Kentucky. So <laughs> Pee-Wee Valley. I have <laughs> trying to explain to people what a Pee-Wee Valley is. Mm-hmm. And uh essentially I I um Pee-Wee Valley was like about a suburb of and but it was now it's a suburb of At the time it was this country. Um and I went to uh, a inter- uh, segregated two-room schoolhouse the first eight years of my education. Mm-hmm. And so um, pretty much, and then all my life, all my family, my community, everything was all black until that time, until at, after eighth grade, uh, of course, I went into ninth grade. That was the first year of school integration. Um, and I was in that group. Uh, a very small group, it was Kentucky in the, whenever that was, at high school, so you can imagine how it was not a pleasant experience. But pretty much everything that I learned during that time and since then is shaped by where I came from. I had four big brothers, uh, I was the only girl, I was the youngest um um my at the time of of course everybody in my little community was poor we didn't know we were poor, and in fact, my family was probably like um how can I put the bedrock an example one of the bedrock families of the community mm-hmm. uh, we, my mother and father uh, uh just gave us everything that they had. my father was a uh Pretty much a lawn uh, person. He took care of my folks' lawns, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember my first—I uh, probably one of the things that impressed me most uh, about education at the time was my dad um, said told me when I was little that uh, he, you know he finished uh, fourth grade. My mother finished eighth grade. Uh, and when I was, I can remember vividly when I was learning math and I was learning reading, I was learning all those things. My dad, when he came home from work and I would sit down and he, he at the, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was helping him keep a budget. Mm-hmm. And I learned that my dad's income at the time was $40 an hour, a, a, a week, $40 a week. So we practice addition subtraction that's how i learned math i didn't i didn't of course at that young age understand i was in elementary school i did not understand you know but that meant on a wider scale but essentially i loved spending that time with my dad when we were doing uh, i guess what you call it now homework um, so um That was my first brush with education, probably. So my first job in education was in health education. Uh, Am I am I getting? Am I answering your question? You have to help me keep
0: focused. Oh yes, you are. I didn't hear what your first job was, though. Uh, It dropped out a little bit. So, what was your first job?
1: My first job was uh, teaching in um, a program for. What we call now at risk students. Okay. Uh, it was kids who were like at the junior and high school uh, level, but they had been dropouts. Most of them were in the juvenile justice system somehow. Mm-hmm. And I, my job was, to, but it came under the adult education division in Jefferson County, Kentucky. So uh, during that time, later during that time, uh, I also became where I taught people how to, to read, essentially. Uh and it was it was I one of my favorite students during that time was a man. I can't remember his name right now, but I can see him as if he's sitting here with me right now. I taught him how to read. He was like mm-hmm. uh, oh, I, uh he was well senior citizen for sure. But mm-hmm. I taught this man how to read. I remember I was fascinated. How did he, he, this was in Louisville, Kentucky. How did he live? I mean, I could not make, I could not comprehend how one functions without being able, how do you get a bus? How do you do anything mm-hmm. without being able to read? But he was so, it was such a, an, an incredible experience for him and for me, probably more for me than for him at the time, but that's when I thought, you know, adults learn differently. They Mm -hmm. comprehend things differently, Uh, uh, but I had no words for it at all. Uh, So, but I did know that in order to do more than teach basically GED in this adult if this program I was in, I would need. Uh, I wanted to get my doctorate. It also happened that during this times, uh, that you know I, I was beginning a new life. My marriage had ended, and by right, this time I had my ebony. Mm-hmm. She and I were two when we moved to Bloomington and um, I uh, did a doctorate in uh, higher education, and I loved loved. Uh, learning the history, of the traditions, learning to put names to things that I had theorized about but didn't. For example, it became clear to me that my work with, with the, the man that I was teaching uh, to read, it, I had to communicate with him in different ways and explain, you know, our conversation was different than just a typical high school kid giving a mm-hmm. But so um that was my first stint in uh adult in um higher education and my first return back to uh to grad school when I got my doctorate at IU. Yeah, and he was so, it
0: too. And so one of the things that I'm curious about is um we started with you talking about the experience you had not only in segregated schools, but also working with your father. And then later on you figure out that you're creating budgets. But what I'm kind of curious about is like, how did those experiences or did those experiences connect to why you became a teacher in the first place?
1: I think it, it undergirds pretty much everything I know about and care about in education, mm-hmm. uh, helping people see, uh, navigate the world from where from where they are in them in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I guess my experience in this ed, in this segregated school system was I can remember. Us getting books from the the white schools. They were always, you know, the used books. They had other kids' names in them. Mm-hmm. They were dated. God knows how old. I don't know, you know, how, how dated they were then. Um, I remember us having bookshelves in our classrooms, and that was like the closest thing we had to a library. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not only like the only girl, the youngest in my family of four. I generally tended to be the only girl in my class of okay. <laughs> so like eight or nine people. So, and as it turned out, I was like the valedictorian of my eighth grade class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember that my teachers used to let me. I mean, I would get my work done, and I'd be finished, I had nothing to do. And so they began, I became sort of like a teacher's assistant. I would begin working with kid, younger kids or kid, even kids in my own group, like writing assignments on the board, working within. So that was my first brush. I, I mean, at the time, it didn't occurred to me that, you know, connect with anything later in life. I was like, what? Not in eighth grade yet. Mm-hmm. But, um, I'm, those kinds of experiences inspired me to Um, I wanted to share, I loved learning. I loved going to those two little bookshelves we had in our classroom. And I remember reading these, there were old books, there were books that the white schools had thrown out, but I loved the time that I had to myself when I finished my work, I finished uh, working with other kids and it was my time to read. Um, And I wanna, for me, (sighs) It was more like among um, the fondest memories I have of my mother is sitting on her lap when my daddy was at work. Was she and and I uh I was sitting on her lap, she would read to me over and I would she would <laughs> make her read to me over and over and over and over the same books and until I could read myself. My mother taught me how to read. And so then later in life, I remember having that same kind of experience with, with my daughter. And I remember her begging me to read her the same story over and over and over again. and it was just great fun. So I enjoyed it as much as um, but as much as, as they did people that I came. And I just wanted to share that experience but the time again, I'm sure this is all unconscious. I wasn't thinking about it time. But now that I look back, uh, it was just those kinds of memories are the kinds of things that I associate with education. And so when I got a chance to work on my doctorate in higher education, I saw I wanted to have an opportunity to go beyond moving from a changing, making life changes from married to unmarried and a single mother. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I wanted to learn how to. Uh, interpret what I was experiencing in my life in a larger context. And so that's when I fell in love with the history and tradition of higher education.
0: Ms. Sandy and I talked more about her experience in graduate school and a few career moves that happened before she settled into a job and life in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She saw each change as forward movement. So I asked her to reflect on how the ability to choose when to go influences the advice she has for others and what she's taken away from all of this. One of the things um, that's interesting about talking to you versus uh, just you know like two other people that I've talked to so far for this podcast mm-hmm. is that their decision to leave a profession mm-hmm. or leave um, doctoral leave a doctoral program was more sorrowful. It mm-hmm. wasn't their choice to go in that way, and so it's interesting to talk to someone who feels as though you were running towards something better. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious um, what advice you have for others who are considering a big change, Mm -hmm. um, whether or not it's their choice or they're feeling forced to. What advice do you have for them, especially since you were making this change from Mm -hmm. a more positive and hopeful position than many people get to.
1: Um I the biggest lesson that I learned was that I faced my fears and it wasn't easy all the time. I think Ebony was such a champ. Mm-hmm. I, a couple of times she revolted about hamburger helper because I wouldn't <laughs> I didn't want to know we had no money. I mean mm-hmm. <laughs> money. So she was lucky to have but, but she was just a real champ. Oh, and that while I was learning about education theories, how kids learn, how you motivate, you know, the, the, the psychology of education, sociology of it, all of that stuff, uh, I was able at the time to, pick, to cherry pick what I thought were, uh, you know, the ideals of what I would like, my how I wanted my daughter to be educated. To <laughs> offer people. I don't know, advice or just share my experience. It is going, sometimes it's scary. Sometimes you don't know how it's going to end up. Don't regret one thing that I did. uh, And I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I would have done very differently to make things turn out any better. I'm happy.
0: Well, Miss Sandy, I think that's the perfect note to end on. Um, And it's just been such a delight and pleasure to learn about that moment in your life and the aftermath, which is a positive aftermath, which is also nice to hear about because so often... Black women in particular end up in situations where they don't feel like they have much choice to leave a situation. But I'm glad that not only yeah. do you feel like you were making choices and decisions, but you don't have regrets as you look back on them. And so thank you for sharing your story with us today. It's
1: been my pleasure. I hope somebody I mean, this was my story. This is what happened to me. It's gonna be different for everybody, but uh just go with it. I mean and I mean you can't make I didn't make foolish choices, mm-hmm. but my I think it's something I've tried to impart on my daughter is uh when you have to make tough decisions for me, always make the decision that gives you options mm-hmm. in the long run. And that's mm-hmm. how I kind of made things work. So here I am. Here we are. Thank you, Melissa. I
0: love talking to you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That's it for today. Thanks for joining me. Catch you next time on I Should Go.